Welcome to the Birth Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hoff, BSNRN. I am a wife, a mother of two, and a nurse specializing in the care of women and newborns. In this podcast, we will share powerful journeys of birth givers with the goals of lifting the veil on the birth experience, healing through sharing, and beginning an open conversation to strengthen trust and promote transparency between birthing people and healthcare providers. Welcome to the Birth Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hoff, BSNRN. I am a wife, a mother of two, and a nurse specializing in the care of women and newborns. In this podcast, we will share powerful journeys of birth givers with the goals of lifting the veil on the birth experience, healing through sharing, and beginning an open conversation to strengthen trust and promote transparency between birthing people and healthcare providers. Hello. Today I have with me Jennifer Burns, LPC. Jennifer is a therapist specializing in perinatal mental health and trauma. Jennifer is the mother of two boys, and she is here today to share her birth experience. Jennifer, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, I'm excited. Go ahead and tell your story. So like Kelly said, I have two boys. I have a five-year-old and an eight-month-old, and I'm going to talk today about my experience with labor and delivery for my older son five years ago. So my pregnancy was pretty unremarkable. I was 31 at the time. I was in good health, no major issues during pregnancy. My son was kind of consistently measuring two weeks ahead throughout. And so we always knew that he was going to be a pretty big baby and larger infants tend to run in my husband's side of the family. So we were kind of expecting that he would be big when he was born. But Obviously, being a first-time mom, having no concept of what complications might come along with that, and my OB at the time, they weren't really concerned about it at all, which I imagine it's often fine. So I went into labor naturally two days before my due date, and my water broke, so we went on into the hospital. And... I think I was in labor for something like 14 hours. I did have an epidural. They did have to use Pitocin to get things going because my contractions never evened out. So we really had to have that extra help. Super happy I had the epidural. And then when it came time to push, I ended up pushing for about two hours. (laughs) And that was pretty awful, very exhausting. And eventually it became pretty clear that I was not going to be able to deliver him without any kind of intervention. So out came the forceps and then apparently those weren't the right ones. So another set of forceps came out. And some of this is stuff that my husband was telling me because at the time I was pretty out of it. And so along with that comes the episiotomy. And so they were able to eventually get my son out. What what we discovered was that he had shoulder dystocia. So his shoulder was caught behind my pelvic bone. And so he was getting stuck and they couldn't get him out. And so then there was some concern about his heart rate dropping and all of that stuff. So 
then at that point, things start moving really fast. There's a lot of people in the delivery room. NICU's coming in, prep the OR, and then you're just sort of like, what the hell is going on? And at that point, I was really just in horrendous pain. I just didn't even know what to do with myself. Later on, I think it was you actually that told me that the epidural is not really going to do much when you've sort of got bone on bone action happening there. And so I was just pretty much delirious with pain. My husband likens it to the exorcist when her head spins around, which I can laugh about now, but at the time, like obviously wasn't very funny. So eventually the epidural just wasn't going to be the thing anymore. So they really had to kind of shoot me up with some fentanyl in order to get him the rest of the way out. And then he came out, his APGAR scores were good. He did not have to go to the NICU. I did not have to have a C-section. They did not have to break his collarbone or do any of those other really scary interventions. So all's well that ends well, sort of, right? I have this beautiful baby. He's healthy. Technically, I'm okay. But there were a lot of really kind of confusing and certainly very emotional moments throughout. And I remember one of the things that I struggled with a lot was that no one ever came in to really talk to me about the experience. Often what would happen is someone from staff, usually one of the nurses, and I love nurses, they're totally wonderful, but they're also human, right? And sometimes we say things without understanding the implication for somebody else, right? So this is routine for them. And so, but for me, it wasn't. And so when someone would come in and be like, oh, you're the one with the really difficult delivery. (laughs) I don't know what to make of that. I get, I was screaming a lot, but I imagine you'd be screaming too, if you were going through something similar. And so nobody ever really took the time, not my OB, not the nurses to really say, Hey, are you okay? That was hard. Yes. The baby's okay. Yes. Technically you're okay. But how are you feeling about this? Can I answer questions for you? And so I I did have a lot of questions. And when I left the hospital, it became very clear to me later on that I was really suffering with PTSD. And I was having flashbacks in the shower and was having intrusive thoughts about blood and I was uncontrollably crying. And so, and I just didn't know at the time, because you're also bringing home this tiny human, that what I went through was incredibly traumatic. Alongside the PTSD came the postpartum depression and the postpartum anxiety. And it was, it was really a struggle for a long time. Then I had some postpartum complications. I I know this is very uncommon, but I did manage to tear out the stitches from my episiotomy. (laughs) And the hard part about that, obviously, besides needing that to be restitched, was that it took me getting into the doctor's office and up on the table for anybody to believe me that that had happened. I was repeatedly told by multiple medical providers. No, 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 that's not what it is. No, 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 that's not what it is. That's not possible. And so that stuck with me as well, as far as knowing my body and advocating for myself and and how difficult that is. So I have a real, I have a real empathy for women, particularly women of color who already struggle a lot within 
the medical system and getting their needs met. If it was that hard for me to get someone to believe my experience, what must it be like for other people? I really love that you touched on that point that you as a health professional had difficulty advocating for yourself. Even though you were saying the right things and had an appropriate assessment of what was going on, it was hard to find someone to believe you. And I think that that is a very important thing that we are struggling with as a medical community and a huge reason why I'm doing this podcast because I've seen firsthand with you and other people how important it is to talk about this and to share what we've all been through and to talk about what's normal and what isn't normal and the reasons that we do things and when it's appropriate to reach out for medical attention or for mental health attention. I think a lot of what we do as women and as a society is gloss over the hard part and say things like, well, at least you have a healthy baby. And that's not, that's not the whole story. It's a big part of the story. But there are two people involved that need to stay healthy. And I also want the medical community to remember that even though these are routine things for us, that doesn't mean that everything that we have done to help a person deliver is something that is routine for them. And I really loved when you told me your story that you talked about the fact that you just wished that somebody had talked to you because I felt the same way. I was a postpartum nurse when I delivered my first, and I didn't know what happened to me until I became a labor and delivery nurse. And someone sat down and taught me all of those things. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can we talk about my experience? And in this class where there are people that are training to be labor and delivery nurses, we debriefed my delivery with people that weren't even a part of it. And that's when I gained understanding. And that's when I realized that, okay, now I have the education that I need to understand to be able to have a non-traumatic delivery. And the reason that I'm, that I'm trying to tell women's stories right now is because maybe, maybe just maybe we can prepare even one person so that their birth is less traumatic. Or maybe they don't need as much emotional work afterwards. And maybe they can feel normal and feel safe and all of those things that when we go into the situation in the dark and don't know what's happening to us and why, we don't get those feelings. We don't feel safe. And the reason that we're traumatized is because there's a moment that we don't feel safe. Even though there's all these people around us doing these things, it's not a feeling of safety. And I think that feeling is very important. So one of the maneuvers that is done during the shoulder dystocia is an attempt to move the baby's shoulder away from the pelvis. So sometimes that involves a fist right above the pubic bone, which is one of the things that is kind of traumatic and painful. Another thing that might have been done, I'm not entirely sure because I wasn't there. They'll straighten your legs and then they'll bring your legs back up to try to tilt the pelvis. but. In the meantime, there's a lot of people in there manipulating you. So that a lot of times is something that is terrifying for people. And then 
ultimately, like you were saying, sometimes there'll be an injury to the shoulder or like you were saying, broken clavicle or the doctor has to physically break the clavicle in order to get the baby out. Other times it depends on how long the baby is stuck, but it could lead to lack of oxygen and all of the effects that could happen if the baby is without oxygen. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is, yes, it is very rare that your stitches would come open. Remind me, what medications were you taking for pain? Do you know? Are you pregnant and planning a hospital birth? You don't need a birth plan. You need a birth vision. In my opinion, birth plans set you up for failure. Yep, I said it. Hear me out before you turn off this podcast. You may think that by downloading a generic birth plan, it means you're in control. The truth is it's not that simple. No one can control exactly how their birth will go. There are way too many variables. What every pregnant person wants is to walk into the hospital pregnant and to walk out with a healthy newborn in their arms. The journey in between is the murky part. It's hard to know what issues might come up that need to be addressed. If you focus your energy on a birth vision rather than giving your power to a birth plan, you can empower yourself to make the best choices for you and your baby. That's why you need to get into my Empowered Hospital Birth Program. As a labor nurse and mindset coach, I can help guide you through the process of maintaining the calm autonomy that will help you achieve the birth vision you desire. In my Empowered Hospital Birth Program, I will help you identify the source of anxiety you have surrounding hospital birth, fill in knowledge gaps to make sure that you are fully informed and confident, learn key phrases so you can better communicate with your medical team, Emotionally process your fears so that they don't hold power over you. Go to kellyhoff.com backslash empowered to book a free 30-minute private birth vision call where we will identify your top fears and must-haves and gain clarity on exactly how you want to feel in the birth space. That's K-E-L-L-Y-H-O-F dot com backslash empowered. I'm honored to be a part of your birth journey. I think I was on Percocet. That sounds familiar. Which is very constipating. And then I think they probably gave you some colase. And I think I remember them not being very clear about the need to take the colase. It was milk of magnesia. But I was getting different information from providers. That was with a confusion. Some providers were saying, take this. She was saying, take this. Um, Uh And then I remember when she finally acknowledged, oh, yes, actually, you did the unusual and tore your stitches out. I remember feeling like she was blaming me, that I was the cause. And, And while technically, I guess that's true, I think, again, remembering I'm a first-time mom with a newborn who just had an incredible trauma, I'm probably going to struggle to take care of myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was like this kind of combination of the medication that you're on being something that's constipating, which is what leads to having to strain when you're having a bowel movement, which is very common after delivery. Also, the fact that you've just had these huge changes to your body in the area of your intestines. and hormonal changes which cause your intestines to become sluggish on top of the fact that um you know you've got these stitches you're trying to drink a lot of water but your baby's consuming a lot of that water if you're breastfeeding like there's all sorts of things going on and then 
confusion about what you're supposed to be taking to prevent constipation was kind of a perfect storm in your situation. I think as providers, we have to be very clear about what needs to happen after delivery in order to make sure that someone doesn't become constipated and strain and and break the stitches, whether it's the C-section or the episiotomy or even just a tear. It's rare, but it can happen. And, and that's why we're supposed to educate. <laughs> we're supposed to clearly educate on why you're supposed to be taking stool softeners or sometimes they'll prescribe a laxative or a stimulant or something to help things move along because some of those nerve fibers aren't really firing after delivery and your body doesn't really get the message that it's time to go to the bathroom. And then everything gets kind of hard and stuck in there. And it's just this spiraling process. So super important that we know that because, boy, that could have saved you a lot of pain. So then after your delivery, talk about what happened next. You realized you had PTSD. You realized that you had postpartum depression and anxiety. What were the steps that you took to help improve your emotional situation? Well, I guess a couple of things. I will say that really the turning point for me, and I can't remember if this was before or after I did do some perinatal therapy, postpartum therapy, was really talking with you because you were the first person to ever say that was an emergency. Because up until that time, I thought I was crazy. I was like, nobody's making a big deal about this. Everybody's just like, oh, you had a difficult delivery. So I was left very much feeling like, oh gosh, I'm weak. There's something wrong with me that I couldn't handle this situation, right? And I knew something was terribly wrong. It wasn't until I talked to you and you were like, no, that actually was an emergency. And actually what you went through was a trauma that I think I was able to kind of zoom out of my experience a little bit and go, okay, I'm not crazy. This is something that I can get help with. It's not that I failed in any way. Really what was missing was some information. And so with that information, I went to therapy for a while. I went on medication, kind of knew ahead of time that I was a risk for postpartum depression, but PTSD is going to certainly skyrocket up those odds. I will say that because I was vocal about this in the beginning, my providers knew and we were able to plan for. So pretty much once my son came out, meds went in. Like I had to take a couple of different medications because there were times where my postpartum depression got so much worse. And I, again, I feel fortunate because being in the mental health field, even though at that time I was not a perinatal practitioner, I knew that I needed to advocate. I knew what I needed to say to get into providers sooner and to ask for specific things. And so again, in that way, I think I was able to kind of move through some of the postpartum depression and anxiety. It wasn't until much, much later, like several years later, that I actually did the very specific targeted trauma work on my delivery. And that has made all the difference. Yes, to some extent, time provides some distance and sometimes time heals some wounds, but it is such a physical, visceral experience that 
sometimes that time and distance and talk therapy just isn't enough and you have to do some more targeted work. So I was in a much, much, much better place moving into my my second pregnancy. And specifically, what was the trauma therapy that you did to help you with that situation? Can you explain what that method is? Sure. I decided that I wanted to do some EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it is a specific type of trauma therapy. And we can use it for things besides acute traumatic events. But initially, it was developed to deal with very traumatic specific events that people experience. And so the idea is that we want to turn down the intensity of a memory. That's the desensitization part. We want to help process the trauma that's held in our body because our mind does all kinds of wonderful things in order to protect us the best way that it can. Sometimes it's less helpful because our brain can do too good of a job, but regardless, our body is going to retain whatever that trauma is. And so EMDR aims to help us desensitize the memory, change the way that we interact with the memory, allow us to do the physical somatic processing of a trauma so that we are less reactive to it whenever we experience something that could be potentially triggering. And it is becoming more and more known, even though it's been around for a long time. And it, it is shown to be an effective trauma intervention. It is not the only trauma intervention. There are lots of other very good interventions out there that are very efficacious as well. But EMDR is the way that I chose to go. And I had a very, very good experience reprocessing my trauma. And when I went into my second delivery, I did have a moment of panic and actually was interrupted by a nurse, which is great. (laughs) But it was a moment as opposed to an overwhelming feeling I couldn't move through. And so I feel like had I not done that work prior to my second pregnancy, I would have had a very different experience. I would have been much more stressed. I probably would have dissociated a lot of that experience because it is such a physical experience to deliver, right? I can't, I struggle to think of something that might be more physical (laughs) that you might do in your lifetime. And with there being a lot of trauma in the body prior to doing that again, I'm just so glad I didn't have to do go through that again. So one of the interesting things about EMDR that I really love is that if there is someone who is not comfortable with talk therapy, that doesn't want to necessarily verbalize the experience or can't find a way to describe the feelings, it's not necessary. Can you talk a little bit more about that aspect of it? Absolutely. It is one of the things that I think makes EMDR such a helpful tool for people because a lot of times we don't want to talk about the trauma. It's too intense to go into the details. So what's really lovely about EMDR, and again, there are other interventions too that are less talk-based, but you are not required to go into the details. You 
are not required to tell me really anything. Sometimes when I'm reprocessing with clients, the only thing that they share with me, other than I have some idea of their target, but when they're actually reprocessing, they just talk about what's happening in their body. And it's fascinating that somebody is able to work through the trauma without having to say anything about it and only focus on what that feels like for them internally. It's really cool. I feel like it's also very important, too, because I don't think we really focus a whole lot on what is happening in our bodies when we're experiencing trauma and stress. And so I love that it's turning things on their head and giving us the chance to look at the way that stress affects the body. So prior to this experience, you were a therapist and you weren't specialized in perinatal mental health. And you also were not certified in EMDR. So can you talk about what made you decide to transition? So once I finally came out of that black hole of postpartum depression, I looked around and I realized, gosh, there are a lot of other women who are struggling in this way. And I did postpartum support groups and things like that. So I'm hearing a lot of other stories from women. And I just was really motivated. I've always loved working with moms. I I just think moms are a lot of fun to work with. And then when I became one, I gained this whole new perspective. And so even more empathy for how challenging it is to be a parent. And then having been through my own experience, I wanted to do anything I could to prevent other women from having to suffer the way that I was suffering. I wanted to be one of those therapists who could validate people's experiences, who could allow them to have a voice, because that's one of the things that tends to lead to really high rates of trauma in a delivery experience is a lot of people feel like they do not have a voice. And so it's really important to allow them whatever they need in order to be able to tell their story if they want to, or to not right? But to still have somebody sit with them and hold their grief about not having the labor and delivery experience they wanted, or their grief about not having the postpartum experience that they wanted, that became so important to me. And then the more I started to do in perinatal mental health, the more I realized how much trauma is just present sort of start to finish, right? We've got trauma of people struggling with fertility, We have invasive procedures in order to get pregnant in in some cases, right? And then if there's potential trauma during pregnancy, and then of course you've got the labor and delivery experience and then plenty of trauma that happens postpartum. And so I just said to myself, there's a very real need for more practitioners who really specialize in this trauma part of perinatal mental health because perinatal mental health is something that we always need more and more practitioners in, but we also really need those trauma-specific perinatal health practitioners. And so I did choose EMDR as my modality of choice and decided to go all the way through to certification because I can't undo a really traumatic labor and delivery experience, but I can help women interact with those memories differently, feel less intensely 
in their body when they're triggered by something and potentially have a better postpartum experience to reduce rates of postpartum depression where we can and certainly reduce rates of PTSD. We all deserve a good labor delivery and postpartum experience. We don't always get it, but we can work to make it more manageable and not have to suffer with that trauma day in and day out when we're trying to take care of a little person. I love that. And I really love that you reformed your life around that whole experience. And now you're helping other women. And it's really funny because I feel like between the two of us, it was one conversation that made us kind of rethink our whole lives. Because <laughs> that's why I'm here right now, too. <laughs> but it wasn't until I talked to you and you were like, wow, knowing that that was an emergency is what flipped the switch. And I was like, oh my gosh, we got something here. We need to be telling other women that it doesn't have to be like this. And, and the healthcare community needs to know that debrief is super important. We tend to minimize, like you said, the experience because we as healthcare practitioners think that if we don't play up the trauma, then we're going to help decrease the trauma for that person. But validation is also important. So the fact that we come in the room and we're quiet and we are methodical and we take care of the situation and move on is one step, but that doesn't always provide the validation that someone might need to, to understand that that was an emergency and that was something that we, we need to talk about. And then the other step is linking people. It's important that they're paired up with qualified mental health care professionals to be able to move past this because these are resources that everyone needs. This needs to be just part of the norm for how we move on from these experiences. And I think that it's really important that we normalize all of this. The last question that I have for you, if you could either go back in time and talk to yourself prior to this experience or if you could talk to another mother that is likely to go through a similar experience, what advice would you give to that person? So this probably sounds a little obvious since I'm a mental health therapist, but I genuinely mean it when I say get the help sooner. Talk to your OBs, find a perinatal mental health specialist, work through the trauma, get the support sooner rather than later. I know that it feels very daunting a lot of the time. And I also acknowledge that it can be very hard to find a provider who is taking clients and accepts insurance. And I, I totally validate that. And there's also free resources that are available that I can certainly share, but don't wait on it. It may get a little bit better with time, but if you're really suffering, don't wait. I would have done my trauma work much, much sooner and I would have suffered much less. And I may have decided to have children sooner because I really was convinced that I was done. That after one, I was like, I am not doing this again. I don't want to run the risk again. It's too scary. It's too potentially risky. We made it out okay the first time. I don't think I'll be able to do it again. 
And so it really, really impacted my life, my decisions about my family, and even what my family would eventually look like. So it doesn't have to be this bad forever. There are people who are trained to help and they want to help. So when you did get pregnant again, you put together steps to make sure that your do-over was successful. What did that look like for you? Well, I I want to give a shout out to the OB that gave me a lot of hope as far as what OBs are looking at when we're determining risks for people. He came in and he said, so I'm pretty sure that your biggest concern about this pregnancy is how big this baby is going to be. He's like, but my concern is your risk for postpartum depression, given your experience last time. And I was just floored. I could not believe that an OB came in and that's what they led with. And I was so happy because to me, that speaks to things changing in the field, what risks really look like. And so that was a great way for me to have the door open to say, how do, how do I want to move through this? I know I'm a much higher risk for postpartum depression. Okay. Do I need to take meds during pregnancy? Well, I don't think I want to do that right now, but I'm going to monitor on a week by week basis and see how I feel. And then we're going to start meds right away as soon as I deliver. And we know that I'm probably going to have a really big baby. So we're going to, we're going to do the induction at 39 weeks. It was very clear that they would not <laughs> induce me prior to 39 weeks. I am really glad though that we did because my second child would have wound up being bigger than my first. And so in that particular scenario, choosing to have an induction was the right decision for me. And everybody is allowed to make their own choices within whatever their medical situation looks like. And I realize some people have more choices than others. But in this case, I said, no thanks for the C-section. I will take the induction and I will weigh out the risks and benefits for that. And for me, that made a huge difference. I had a great experience this time around. My induction went smoothly. I pushed nine times and my son was out. I did not have to have an episiotomy. I did still have an epidural. It was wonderful. And so I just remember thinking at the end, because it was obviously a lot more with it this time around. Oh my God, I didn't know it could be this way. And I'm like actually tearing up a little bit because even though I do this work sort of day in and day out with women and I hear a wide variety of experiences, some very good and empowering and others obviously very traumatic, but some thing is just so different about your own experience. Again, it's, it's personal, it's visceral, it's, it's very physical. And I didn't know that there didn't have to be a trauma. I never considered that to be an option. And I, I feel very grateful that I was able to have that do over. I know for some women that isn't going to be possible either because they choose to be finished having children or they they're unable to have more children or Unfortunately, they have another traumatic birth. And so I feel very much for those birthing people who go through that because that's horrifying to have to do that 
twice or more than that. But in my personal experience, I was so grateful to have had a better experience and was stunned that to think that I almost missed out because I I wasn't going to have more children. And so I have considered whether or not I might want a third, but (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. My first is quite a bit of a handful. And my second is, is (laughs) a little bit easier than he was, but I have a feeling I'd probably wind up closer to the first one again. So I have enough chaos at home. That does actually remind me of another question. So your first, I would imagine they took him over to the warmer and did all the things. And, you know, then later you got the opportunity to do all the warm, fuzzy things, but by then you were traumatized. With your second, did they hand him to you right away? Yeah, I believe they did. Yeah. And that was actually something I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up. I felt so bad for both my husband and myself when my son was, my first son was born because my husband missed out on cutting the umbilical cord and I didn't get to hold him right away. And honestly, I was so out of it. I I don't think I physically could have, but yeah, we, we really missed out on that. And that made me profoundly sad, even though I certainly understand why. The most important thing is making sure that the baby is okay. But those moments matter. And so there's grief and loss that can accompany that as well. I was so excited for my husband to be able to cut the umbilical cord, and that just wasn't a thing. And I think I cared more than he did. But it was really nice the second time around for us to get to do those things. And so... My older son, really, he came screaming into this world and he was like, I am here. And it was very dramatic. He is still very dramatic. My second son is a little more low key. I don't know that he's going to stay that way. He's only eight months, but I can honestly say that even in infancy, they're very different. And he's he's been just much, much more calm and chill and much less dramatic entry and so but it was nice to be able to have some of those things that I had really been missing the first time. Yeah, I feel like there's nothing like the feeling of handing you a squirming, wiggly, warm, screaming baby and getting to hold that baby in the first few moments of its life. So I'm so glad that you got that. I think that about wraps up your wonderful, dramatic story. that I've been just waiting for you to share with the world. I would like to provide some information to our listeners. So if you would like to reach out to Jennifer, you can visit her website at www.mytherapygoals.com. You can also find that contact information in the show notes and any other information that she would like to share will be in the show notes. So thank you for joining me today, Jennifer. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me and providing me a forum in which to share. And I hope that it helps some other women and I hope it inspires people to get the mental health care that they might feel like they need and that they are able to not suffer so much with that experience anymore. To help more moms find this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review to tell me what you think. To find more information about guests from each episode, 
please see the show notes at birthjourneyspodcast.buzzsprout.com. There you can also learn how to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I'm honored to be a part of your birth journey. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. Don't forget to share the podcast with a friend who can benefit from the valuable insights that we share here. And if you could take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review, it would mean the world to me. If you're ready to work one-on-one with me to embark on a transformational journey towards a confident and empowered hospital birth experience, go to kellyhoff.com backslash empowered and enroll in my Empowered Hospital Birth Coaching Program. Together, we'll create a roadmap to a birth experience that you'll cherish forever. That's K-E-L-L-Y-H-O-F dot com backslash empowered. Let's make your birth experience extraordinary.